Hello, friends, and welcome to Madison BookBeat, your listener-sponsored community radio home for Madison authors, topics, book events, and publishers. I'm your host, Andrew Thomas. Our guest today is Tacey M. Atsidi for a conversation on her new poetry collection, At Wrist, published by the University of Wisconsin Press this month. Tacey M. Atsidi is the winner of the Wisconsin Brittingham Prize for Poetry and is a recipient of the Lewis Owens Award, Truman Capote Creative Writing Fellowship, the Corson Browning Poetry Prize, Morning Star Creative Writing Award, and the Philip Freund Prize. She holds bachelor's degrees from Brigham Young University and the Institute of American Indian Arts, and an MFA in creative writing from Cornell University. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in Epoch, Poetry Magazine, Kenyon Review Online, Prairie Schooner, Swamp Pink, Literary Hub, New Poets of Native Nations, Leavings, and other publications. Her first book of poetry was Rain Scald, published by the University of New Mexico Press in 2018. Tacey keeps a busy schedule as the director of the Navajo Film Festival, a member of the Board of Directors for Light Scatter Press, a member of the Advisory Council for Brigham Young University's Charles Red Center for Western Studies, and the founding member of the Advisory Board for the Intermountain All Women Hoop Dance Competition. She is a PhD candidate in the creative writing program at Florida State University, where she lives with her husband. Tacey, what a pleasure it is to have you on Madison BookBeat. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So my name is Tacey Atsidi. Um, my Dene name is Sani. Edelina means she who is like old women. And it's my third name throughout my life because we have, you know, life stages of um, infancy and childhood, adolescence and adulthood. And so um, this is my uh, third name right now. And so I, I go by Sani. You'll hear people call me Sani or, or Tacey. And I am sleep rock people born for the tangle people. My maternal grandfather is water edge people, and my paternal grandfather is yucca fruit strung out in a line people. And this is how I am a Dene woman. It's how I identify who I am and where I come from. TC, I would love to just jump right into this uh, this collection. One of the things that I kept coming back to that I'd like to start with today is just the title itself. Um, I found At Wrist uh, to be such an evocative and also elusive title. So can, can you talk about the significance of your title as well as who you've dedicated the collection to? Because I think that ties in somewhat to, to the name of the collection. At Wrist, it's, it's interesting to me because I, you know, the parentheses, I'll just start with the parentheses. Um, you know, it, it was a top of a topic of conversation um, in terms of, you know, why, why are there parentheses? Um, and, and I, and we should just pause very quickly for our listening audience. So at wrist at is in parentheses, wrist is not. Thank you. Yes. Um, and I think so, um, at wrist, right. So the wrist, the, the word and the image has, has kind of woven its way into my work for the past 15, 10, 15 years. And uh, not so strongly as it has for this collection. And so it was interesting to me that I had to just kind of think about, 
why is the wrist so uh, prevalent, right? Why does it keep coming up in my poems? And, and I think personally, <clears throat> with my own physical wrists, they've kind of been weakened because I've been moving a lot. I have to like move my own things the past 10 years. And, um, and I, I have noticed that, you know, they were giving me some pain and um, I had to be careful with them. You know, when I was lifting things, sometimes I would tend to lift with the wrist and not with, you know, the muscles in my arms kind of thing. Uh, and so they have become, to me, they've become pretty delicate in a way, in a way weak, right? But in a way delicate that I have to be very um, cognizant of them and how I use them and um, just careful with them essentially. And so <clears throat> I thought about that. And I also thought also that, you know, the wrist is really important in Christianity, um, right? Then the nailing of Christ through his, you know, his hand. And then also through um, this part of the wrist here, uh, just above the wrist in that area, and how it's it's centered between the the two where the two nails were, um, and then just how it it hinges and how it, it allows for movement and yeah. So so I've I've thought a lot about that, and I also have a poem in the in the book called um, "The Night My Wrist Broke." In, in that poem, right, I'm, I'm recounting the experience where I was in Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, my truck had slid. There was a bad, like, ice storm, and I had slid into someone, and normally, normally, as if I'm in accidents all the time, <laughs> um, I, I would think to, like, you know, let go of the steering wheel because, you know, I, I, I don't want to take the impact on him. But in that experience there were so many cars that was on the interstate and I didn't want to have impact and then, you know, have the steering wheel and the truck go just whatever, which way. And so I held the steering wheel and it took the impact of it. And so uh, my wrists, right, were aching for like uh, weeks afterward and I had to really kind of take care of them. So, so there's the physicality of it. There's like, you know, like I said, that, that, um, Christian, that Christianity, um, part of it, but then there's also, you know, when you look at it, you look at the cover of the book and it's this picture, it's a, a photographer, um, a photograph by a photographer named Kara Romero and it's called Two Virgins and it's got, <clears throat> you know, a woman, right? And she's being embraced by a man who's in a loincloth, but you can't see his head. And he's got this buffalo head over him. And that word wrist, I feel like it invokes uh, a wrestling, right? A rest. And, and so it kind of, it, it all goes in with that in terms of wrestling with love, right? Wrestling with, um, relationships and and like trying to come together and and being together and then just kind of passing each other and and that's all um you know made apparent in the section breaks so if you look at the contents um on roman numeral page roman numeral seven you have the set of parentheses right which are symbolic of the wrists and and they, um, 
and then they come closer together, right, for section two. And then in section three, they pass each other, right? So, um, so with the parentheses and having at, you know, around the, the parentheses, so the parentheses and at, you know, you can take it or leave it. And that kind of, you know, foreshadows in a way, like what, what can be taken and what can be left um, in relationships and, and things like that. So, um, and then also you had mentioned to the dedication. With the dedication, it says to Shijaa, which is my father, and to every man who extended me his wrist. And so this book in part is, you know, dedicated to my father. And there's some poems in here about my father and things that he taught me about, about losing innocence in terms of, you know, like I lost my mother and family, uh, sister and cousin and aunt very early on, which I talk about in my old book, Rain Scald, my first book. And, and so these poems, I have these poems about my father where he teaches me how to love, right? And it's, it's also how not to love. <laughs> and so I have, you know, this, this wrestling, right? This inability to be able to love and to love completely. And then the second part of the dedication is every man who extended me his wrist. And going back to my thoughts on like the rest and the wrist and the, the delicateness of it for me, you know, when a man extends you right his hand, his wrist, like he's extending <clears throat> and being so vulnerable. And, and in that I acknowledge every man who did that for me and to me and respect them in that way. And what you're describing, it, it sounds like it, it comes back to the spiritual aspect that you were talking to as well. Because if we think of, of, of the wrist or that part of the body that, you know, in the Christian tradition that is nailed to the cross, that is, it's a symbol of sacrifice. It's a symbol of love, love for somebody else that maybe transcends normal, normal human, human experience or, or human time. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think that you hit it right on the head, on the nail. Hit the nail it's, on the head, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told you, I cut the with hands. Hey, you know what, though? You're a poet, so anything you say, I'm going to be like, oh, that, that's what I should be saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you hit it, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. It, you know, it, it is the ultimate, right, symbol of love um, and sacrifice and, and showing that, they're willing to, you know, make that, make that, make those sacrifices for you. As a reader, when you open the book, you see, you see the dedication and then you turn the next page and on the left-hand side, you get an epigraph by Louis Erdrich. And then on the right, you get the, you get the table of contents. But uh, I was, I was also quite intrigued by your uh, Louis Erdrich epigraph because in part it reads, you have to love, you have to feel it is the reason you are here on earth. You are here to risk your heart. You are here to be swallowed up. What does it mean to risk your heart and, and be swallowed up? Yeah. So for me, I mean, I, I was, okay. I, I have a very, I guess a confession. <laughs> it's not a confession. It's just like, it's been my personal experience. It's that, um, you know, I was 38 when I got married. And I had never had a boyfriend. I had never held anyone's hand. I had never kissed anyone. 
And, and so for me, my, my experience with um, romantic relationships was either right non reciprocated, <laughs> unrequited love, or couldn't come together, right couldn't come together for whatever reason. And there was always failure on either mine or the other party's part in some way that for me, when it's, you know, when you risk yourself and there was, you know, I don't know if you watch Korean dramas, but <laughs> they always talk about like, did you confess your love? Right. And I have confessed my love at least, I don't know, maybe I can count them on one hand, but every one of them, right. I can just feel and remember like how humiliating and how grief stricken and sorrowful I was because it wasn't reciprocated or because it wasn't going to work or, or whatever it was. And, and I think that, you know, every time I did that though, at least I knew that I could walk away feeling like, okay, well, I was honest and, you know, um, you know, talk about no regrets. Right. And, and be able to be okay with that so that I could move forward. So I think risking yourself, there's, there's that obvious, you know, um, confession, right? There's an obvious like moment where you have to be very vulnerable and share how you, how you feel and, you know, what it is that you hope for. But <clears throat> there's also moments when you risk your heart when you don't do those things, which, which is interesting because I think that, you know, there have been moments where there's, you know, um, men in this poem, in, in this book of poems, where I felt restrained from, from doing those things and, you know, from confessing or, you know, um, sharing how I had really felt. And in those moments, I did risk, right? I risked that I was following, you know, promptings. Um, I was following what I felt was right, even though, you know, what I, what I wanted, I had to risk everything um, and not move forward in that way. How has poetry helped you in this art of confession or this art of expressing, risking your heart of being swallowed up? What's the, what's the poetic element there? Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, I have always been taught, you know, by my uh, poetry professors and mentors that, you know, poetry, it, I think it does need to have an element of opacity, but mm -hmm. of course, you know, opacity, not for opacity's sake, but opacity to help the reader, well, and, you know, the poet sort of understand and navigate certain areas of language and certain areas of love so that, you know, it, it's not all clear cut and this is what I want you to get out of it, right? Because I think that in a lot of these situations, in, in language, in relationships, in love, it, it's not all clear, right? There's a lot that's opaque. There's a lot that's kind of muddied. And sometimes with my poetry, it's, it's also been uh, described as being difficult. Um, and I feel like for me, it's, it's hard work right, to write the poems, to compose these poems and, and to get them to where I feel like they want to be. But it's also hard work on 
you know, the, the sight of the reader. And, and so a delirium of images and right. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you the clear cut version because that's, because there is no clear cut version. And also a large part of my poetry emotion is a big part of um, what I hope to pass on to the reader. My hope is that, right, that I, that I can create a poem that shows you that I am human, that shows you that you and I both are human. We've both gone through grief and heartbreak and joy and uh, bliss and grief and, you know, and in that way we can connect. And I think that sometimes when we have narratives that are so specific to what it is that one person has gone through, it's, it's you know, um, it can be a little bit difficult to connect to the reader and, and finding that connection in terms of emotion. And I feel like with images, you know, if I give you an image, you can do what it, do what it is that you want and feel with it. And and hoping that I'm passing on that emotion to the reader. I don't know if I would call your your work difficult, but it demanded patience on the reader, and that's and 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 rereading and, and coming back to it. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I enjoyed the aspect too that it was not it was not always clear cut, and that it was up to the reader to find meaning. And also just that because life is often opaque, that you were able to represent that quite well in the in the poetry itself. Um, Tacey, I would love for our listeners to be able to hear a little bit of this poetry. I'm going to have you read a, a little bit more through, throughout this, but um, perhaps we could start with, uh, with, with your opening poem. A February Snow I thought I knew love in every drag of the tongue across icing, sparkle and glaze. Thought I went wading into stars, pulling my dress up to my knees. I get like this when it precipitates, fall like salt, muscles in my back tear to the point of floating, bearing flakes. They come heavy now, lacking grace, exposing the weight my collarbones carry. The wind can only lift so much with its song. Snow is a blessing. Its color amplifies silence so you can hear every crunch or offering of self. A sugar cookie wrapped in napkin. Alas, all that's here is a field of snow and a napkin to cleanse my lips of any leftover sweetness. I ate that cookie for days until I fell brittle. It's the time of year when I sink into my armchair, into threads, of branches gone bare. It's tough to tell in this scene if it's birth or dying time. All I know is it's the season when wind comes crying like a baby whose head knocks a pew during the passing of the sacrament, that silence, her long inhale filling with pain. You just heard TCM at City reading from her collection At Wrist, published by the University of Wisconsin Press in 2023 and out this month. 
Tasty, that was that was beautiful. And as 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 readers continue, um, it took me my, my second reading to, to really start honing in on this, but a particular poetic form that that you draw on quite extensively is the um, is the sonnet. And um, you, you have a number of poems uh, with sonnet even in in the title. Um, but yeah, sonnet is a form that you return to again and again throughout this collection. Can you talk about how does this well-known poetic form help you play with language and, and imagery in new and creative ways? Yes, I love the sonnet because of its constraints. I love that it has to be 14 lines or, you know, it has to be. I love that it is 14 lines. I love that it, you know, has a volta and that it can be an iambic pentameter. And I love that it's a song and that it's <clears throat> partially about love. I, I love all of that. And it helps me, it helps me translate experiences in a way that I normally wouldn't be able to express because of all of those restrictions. I know <clears throat> some poets um, and scholars think of it as, as a box, as a prison. And, um, but I feel uh, most free when I'm able to express in those, um, with those constraints of the form. And it's more difficult work on my end to make sure that the poem expresses what I want it to express or that it expresses what the poem wants it to express in a very, you know, lovely way is <laughs> the way to put it. Yeah. Given your own indigenous identity, what is it like engaging with more with more kind of Western Western poetic forms as a poet? Yeah, I so this is a, a fun conversation that we're having right now within Native circles. And that is, you know, breaking a lot of the Western forms and embracing Indigenous forms in terms of, you know, ceremony and song and chant. And I've, you know, I've, I've done that, um, you know, when I was first kind of starting out when I was a student at the Institute of American Indian Arts and, and studying how Dine or Navajo people, we have our ceremonies and those were our first initial poems, you know, if you will, they, they had rhyme and they uh, were certain lengths and there was a lot of refrain with, you know, small changes. And, and so we have our, you know, our sort of oral, right, our oral songs and our oral poems. And, and I, I think that for me, as I'm continuing to expand the breadth of, you know, my um, knowledge and poetry and other people's, other countries, forms, I'm really in, in interested and enthralled in them. It's, um, it's exciting for me because, you know, I get to study them and see how they were written, how these, you know, English poems or Petrarchan poems, uh, sonnets were all written and, and what they did with them. People like, you know, Shakespeare and Sydney and Petrarch. Um, but at the same time, 
I feel like I bring something to the table and, you know, because now I know the form well enough, I can break or deviate from any of those um, conventions from the sonnet and, and, and feel freely to do so, whether it's breaking, you know, the meter or whether it's breaking the rhyme scheme or, or anything like that, or even, you know, like sometimes I write sonnets that are not directly about love and I think that's okay. Or, or other forms of love. So, yeah. Maybe it would be helpful for our listeners right now to, to hear one of these sonnets. Um, I was thinking of, of your lace sonnet poem, if you wouldn't mind okay. reading that for us. Yes, lace sonnet. Like this vein, webbed glass, me a ribbon, so rain, so pearl and mass, or my wedding white. I see you at the crown of my crux, light and petals veil. Blown this fringe, this leaf, let face, let lips drown the way. Your coral neck, it zips at the back, up and down my hand cup. As someone who has primarily only read like Shakespearean sonnets, this stood out as as very different and very much kind of departing from from a more um, a more familiar uh, maybe classroom classroom sonnet uh, experience. I'm intrigued by this poem as well because the, this poem lace sonnet it it draws our attention to to your frequent use of of lace as a metaphor throughout this collection, and. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understood this to be to be a metaphor of of interconnectedness that is parallel to some imagery that you use um, of webs or veins or branches. I feel like these are all kind of being used in in similar and in parallel ways. Um, could you just talk more about the the significance of lace for understanding your collection as a whole? Yes, I feel like for me, lacing, you know, in, in this poem, Lace Sonnet, it's about the lace, right, on, on a wedding dress. And and I think that sometimes we think that lace is, it's only decorative, that it doesn't serve a, a function or a purpose, but it's really lacing, which brings, right, that piece to life. It's the intricacy, it's the delicacy, um, it's the beauty, right? Because I don't know if you've ever seen like lace bobbins and just kind of how they're woven, right? Like they're, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of time and patience. And I myself don't, don't do that, but I had some coworkers who would often do lace and uh, make lace. And so for me, you know, it's like I said, it's 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 this beautiful part that, of our lives that, like you said, it's wo that weaves and is woven together, right? These experiences that we have of love with our family, with our friends, and with our you know romantic partners, that that really kind of bring beauty to our life. And even though lace is very delicate, it's also very strong because it's woven together. Yeah, that's, um, that's beautiful. 
do you see that connecting with the the, the the other kind of imagery that you're building as well, like with webs and, and branches and yes, I same, believe, same kind of um, meaning? Yes. So right there's there's branches and there's roots and there's, you know, the tree trunk and there's leaves. And, and I think that I have a lot of, you know, tree imagery. Um, and then also the weaving with, you know, tango people um, in one of my first poems. Let's see. <clears throat> was sonnet for my wrist which is the second poem where where i talk about you know my father i'm born for my father tangle people our mouths and webs tonight my wrists part and you chase my insides until they dangle into pieces so you know there's always that's part of me right like in navajo i say that i am who my mother is and she's sleep rock people and I am born for my father who is Tangle people. And so I'm born for the Tangle people who are said to become, uh, who have come from the spider people. And they're the ones who have introduced weaving to our people. Um, not only, you know, weaving webs, but also weaving rugs. And um, and so that, you know, that's that's part of me. That's in my DNA, that that weaving together of, of life and and love and relationships and these experiences that I have. And I think what is kind of in productive tension with what you're describing about lace as being this, this kind of this deli- delicate, beautiful thing in our lives that is also strong and, and holds us together and, and interconnected. You also have a lot of imagery of, for lack of a better word, uh, like evisceration. Um, and in one in one poem, you talk about uh, the speaker state states that they imagine cutting the skin from their navel to their neck, opening up like I've never done before. Um, and we see this imagery echoed. Uh, we even see it echoed in the lace sonnet that you just read for us. But we see it in a number of other poems where you learn how to gut a fish with your father. Um, what is what is this what is this more visceral embodied imagery helping you accomplish in at rest? I think it's 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 the vulnerability. It's that nakedness. It's that it's the risk, right? Like we we put ourselves at risk, right? When we love and and sometimes that's what happens to us. <laughs> we know? get we get eviscerated. And, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we're gut open and sometimes we're, you know, flayed and sometimes we're uh, you know, we ha- we have to go through all of these experiences and um, and and make our way through it, right? And so I think that you know that is the risk, and that that is how we feel sometimes when we do risk everything and when we do lose, and um, and and even when that happens, right? Going back to Louise Erdrich's, um few lines here at the beginning we have and when it happens that you are broken or betrayed or left or hurt death brushes near let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling all around you in heaps wasting their sweetness tell yourself that you tasted as many as you could and and that taste you know obviously like there's a sensual aspect but there's also like you know what is it like to taste pain? What is it like to taste hurt? What is it like to taste 
that risk that you gave everything that you were honest that you were truthful in you know um in your feelings or expressions and so that's i think that's part of it and and that's how we feel and those are some of the experiences that we have to go through when we risk everything it, it seems like it seems like those types of risks and that type of honesty and openness and vulnerability it's it reaching a point in your life often it, it, it's very hard one to, to 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 be in a space where you can be fully honest and and, and open um and yeah uh you are listening to madison bookbeat and i am your host andrew thomas uh today we are talking with tacy m at city on her poetry collection at wrist published in 2023 by the university of wisconsin press TC, I'm I'm really interested uh, in the role of faith in a number of your poems. Um, could you just talk more about about your faith and how it informs your your writing practice? Yeah. So, um, my faith, right? I am a Christian. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Some people know us as Mormons, and. You know, I was raised, I was born and raised in this church, and it's something that, you know, I've had to go my whole life through and um, kind of put put all of the teachings and practices to the test. And and it's it's um, it's a large it's the largest part of my life. Right. Like in, in my day to day, the first thing I do when I wake up is, of course, I pray and then I um, listen to a conference talk from our apostles or our prophet. And then I, uh, read and study my scriptures, which is the Bible, the book of Mormon. And, and then I do the same with my husband. We have a companionship, um, scripture study together and we go to church on Sunday and all, you know, all these good things. And, and so when I feel like all of my writing, right, is, is influenced, is in influenced by, this way of life that I have and influenced by my faith in terms of who I am as a daughter of God and influenced in who I am as a Christian and, and trying to, you know, live the commandments of God and be a good Christian disciple and, and trying to love others. And, and, um, and so, you know, when I have experiences like these where I have, you know, made myself vulnerable or where I've, you know, um, where things haven't worked out right. It's this, it's this work that I have to do with, with myself, with my relationship with Heavenly Father, saying, like, you know, don't you want me to be happy? <laughs> you know, because I feel like, well, for me and my faith, 38 is really old <laughs> to be married. Um, but I did have blessings. I did receive blessings and I did um and saying that I would be married, right? Because I think that ultimately we want to be with someone. We want to have someone. And that companionship is is what we strive for. Um, and so for me, you know, I was trying to keep my life busy while I was trying to, you know, find the person that I would be with forever. And, and that's a large part of also this book is like the aspect of eternity. You know, when we Mary in our temples, um, it's not until death do we part, it's for time and all eternity. And so there are covenants that we make with Heavenly Father when we go to the temple that say we will live a certain way, right, a good way. And in, in turn, 
that we will have, you know, this ceiling of being married together forever. And so when I did finally find my husband, right, we were married in the Lima, Peru temple in, um, in Lima, Peru and, and made those covenants. And so now I have that, right. And, um, and it's, it's been a long journey. You know, I, I say, I, you know, I have this acknowledgement at the end where I do acknowledge, um, I say, and for the content, thank you to the men who kept my pre-marriage years interesting, full of wonder, delight, heartbreak, and hope. To the ones I've looked on from afar with much ardor, thank you for keeping me preserved. To the ones whose wrists I never took or dropped, I am sorry, but know you have enriched my life. I wish you every joy. Because I do wish them every joy. You know, I, I, I had three marriage proposals and they just weren't the right ones, you know, and um, but I'm grateful for them and I'm, I'm grateful for everything that I had to go through. I think that it, it's made me who I am and it's made me a little bit more resilient. And, you know, I can sit under that tree here on earth knowing, right, that I quote unquote, tasted every apple um, that I tried, right? That I reached for the apples that I, that I did partake. <laughs> We're getting into like Adam and Eve here. So. Yeah. But like, right, I did, you know, I did, I tried, you know, I, I didn't give up and it was hard. And, and I think that that's not just like with love, but that's with life. Did, did were you using writing as a way to process some of this along the way? What was 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 poetry coming out? Uh, you know, as as these events were unfolding for you, has 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 writing been bound up with your religious belief? Um, yeah, just talk more about that. Absolutely. So I have a poem here. I think it's River Silt, and um, this you know it was. It was a poem that I wrote to help me get through, you know, yet another, you know, failed relationship. I mean, not even start of a relationship, right? But um, I can't find it. Can you find it? It is on page 18. Oh, thank you. If you would like to read it, you are welcome to. Okay. Yeah. So... This was an experience, right, where I had, you know, just had this really hard conversation with um, a young man. And and then I went to the river uh, because I love the water and I love being outside and the water kind of, you know, helps helps me feel calm. And, you know, it was a place where I could gather my thoughts and pray and do some meditating. And this poem came out of that um, that time where I was sitting there by the San Juan River and um, it's river silt. Water levels have bled out like it had just bitten its lip and was about to swell, then rip. Had I paid better attention to drought, listened more to the crows and stayed with mountain clouds, I'd have let go of the knot swing hanging above the slow life flow beneath my wings I'd have prayed to forget all the times he came to me, but not wanted me. How fast it rises, carrying plumes of pang and undercurrent, swirls of sediment and silt around my knees, 
the dragging stalks and leaves of irises, how pathetic they look, breaking in torrent. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful it's it's a beautiful poem of of both the natural world and then as as you're describing, it's also like um, helping you process this this uh, this this relationship. It, it it's it's only it's only because you mentioned it earlier in in the conversation, but. Um, do you consider your poetry, is it confessional poetry? Is this, is this poetry primarily about, you know, cause you know, I, I taught for a number of years and one of the things I always told students is like, you know, don't assume that the, uh, the speaker in the poem is necessarily the author, but based on what you're sharing with us, like a, lo- a lot of this does sound, and, and I know this is the case for a lot of poetry, but like, it does sound like a, a lot of, you're drawing from a lot of personal experience here. Would you label it as confessional or does that come with too much baggage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it probably shares you know, some of the, the attributes of confessional poetry. I, I wouldn't label it, though, <laughs> because I think because of what you said, right, that it does have a lot of baggage. Um, but maybe that's what it is. And maybe I just need to embrace that. Well, you know, going back also to to what to what we were talking about about the spiritual aspects of 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 your life and how like I never once felt like that this that that any of your poem I never felt like it was didactic I never felt like it was preaching to me so I think you you have a very delicate hand in bringing in themes that are clearly important and and personal to you but I I'm I feel like opacity there also works works in in your favor again because it is this collection of images and collections of, of metaphors that don't tidily add up to something easy, but instead, as I was noticing it, they're kind of in this web together, or they're kind of in this this network of um, this kind of lacing structure. And so it never it never felt didactic or, or preachy. And so I never thought of confession until, you know, just o- only because you had said it earlier in this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I and I, and I think that I try to, I think I, maybe I do try to keep a little bit, keep it a little bit at bay. And, but I think there are definitely aspects of the professionalism here. Tacey, I would love to hear the final poem of the collection because it's such a um, beautiful and contemplative way to, to end, to end this uh, poetry collection. So would you mind reading that one for us? From the mountainside, we appear to wear each other deep into the road. We appear in the braids of slowed water at our knees, as though prepared for a ritual among the falls. It breaks all around us, lace in its final wear. We nearly swallow ourselves, bear every blue we have to give until lakes settle in with the stars. We came to see stars wiggle, to wander the unknowing, grays and blues until finally our flowing bears our wrists. I wade for you and see the stars wade for you. Resting on an altar crochet, we approach land and sky kneeling together on that day. You just heard Tacey at City reading from her new poetry collection at Wrist. Uh, published this November by the University of Wisconsin Press.
Tacey, you already touched on this once, and I'd like to just kind of come back in conclusion because it is such a captivating uh, photograph, a cop, uh, you know, image of a photograph on, on your cover. And um, I know this is by an indigenous photographer, Kara uh, Romero. Could you just describe for our audience a little bit more? How did you come across this this particular artist, and yeah, what 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 her work means for you? Certainly, yes. I <clears throat> so I love her work. I came across her work because we're both alumni from the Institute of American Indian Arts, and I saw her one of her prints um, some years back, or one of her portraits one year back, some years back at the in Santa Fe Indian Market. It's um, it's the cover of my book called Rain Scald. Um, and it's just this really beautiful, you know, um, falling, there's two people kind of falling backward in, in their native regalia. And, and so that's, I mean, I just, I was so arrested with her work and her, her, her great composition of light and arrangement and just, it's just so stunning and brilliant. And, and so that's how I was introduced to her work. And she was so gracious to have, you know, how, let me allow me and University of New Mexico Press to have that um, photograph as the cover of my first book. And so, you know, over time, of course, she's, she's creating and she has a very, um, you know, beautiful eye for the work that she does and really great um, ideas for composition. And, and I, you know, this, the cover for At Wrist, <clears throat> I love it so much because because of its title in part, right? Two virgins. And there, and so <laughs> it's funny when people from my church, they look at this and they see it and, you know, cause the guy is in a loincloth and, you know, they're, and he's embracing a girl, but she's fully clothed and, and they're like, oh, you know, cause it's a little <laughs> less conservative, right? Um, but it's, it's, I mean, they're virgins, right? They're, they're still at, a point in their lives where, you know, it's all new and they're still coming together and they're still, you know, sort of becoming one, you know, you have the buffalo head that has its hair and, you know, the female, she has her hair that's kind of, you know, it looks like the buffalo hair and it's, it's, it's almost like a transformation of the two becoming one and coming together. Um, you know, she's, you know, he's embracing her, right? Her head and her hair and his leg is across her torso. But she's, you know, she's looking toward him, right? There, there is that and connection and she's kind of petting him right there on the nose. And, and so it's, it's just, I love it because it's just, it's just this wonderful, I feel like coming together of two um, people, I'll call them people and, and they bring so much to become one and they're so different and it's still in that process, right? Like it's, it's still the early process. And I feel like it's such a great, uh, it was such a great cover for top, sorry. It was such a great photograph for the cover of the book because it encapsulates everything that was here, right? All of that sort of, kind of, you know, pre like wrestling and tension and, and um, <clears throat> love, like the, you know, initial steps of love and, and, but also, you know, the title is called at risk, which sounds like at rest, 
mm-hmm. you know, and so they're here, they're reclined, right? And, you know, and by the end of the book, you know, there is some rest that can happen because of everything, right? Because we tasted every apple, because we we lived life and we took risks and yeah. Yeah, that's 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 beautiful. The 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 other thing that it also reminded me of too um is that is is a famous uh mm-hmm. photograph of um John Lennon and Yoko Ono and Yoko mm-hmm. Ono's laying there and he's hugging her like that. So again, is it's kind of like a taking of a of a familiar form and then like reclaiming it and repurposing it for 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 a different image. And so um yeah, it's 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 a beautiful cover. And um Really beautiful and fascinating collection, Tacey. Um, it was it was a joy to read. And all of our Madison BookBeat listeners, uh, I encourage you to, um, as soon as you can, it's published this month, At Wrist, by Tacey M. At City, um, from our very own University of Wisconsin Press. Tacey, thank you so much for, uh, for taking time today to, to talk with us about your new collection. And it's been such a pleasure having you on Madison BookBeat. Thank you. You have been listening to Madison Bookbeat, and I am your host, Andrew Thomas. I'll be back Monday, December 4th, for a conversation with poet Paul Tran on their 2022 poetry collection, All the Flowers Kneeling. It should be a good one, so don't miss it. You can find a recording of this interview on wortfm.org and a podcast version wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Madison Bookbeat to stay up to date on Madison authors, topics, book events, and publishers. Thanks to today's talk producer, Jade Isiri Ramos, and news director, Shali Pittman. Intro and outro music was written and performed by Alex Frizzell. Coming up next is Three Hours of Jazz with Alex Wilding White. Keep it here on WORT 89.9 FM Madison, listener sponsored community radio.